Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. me. Um, that's because I'm not often here. It's not because I've, I've taken time off. It's actually we're part of the Burton Church plant, which is 13 miles down the road, and praise God, is going really well. So thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel, because actually seeing some of you every Sunday turning up to either serve or just to be there with us is such a blessing to have when you're starting off a new church. So thank you so much, and can I encourage those that you are Maybe late in getting here, you can just pop down the road and you'll be on time there because we start half an hour later than we start here. So you can get in the back door without causing too much of a commotion. But praise God, uh, Burton's going well. We've had a foundation course, which we run here in Jubilee anyway, and we've had 15 people on it. So praise God, that's wonderful. After six months of being established as a church plant, there's 15 people already looking in to join the church. So we're now going to go and follow them up individually and make sure they haven't got any mind-blowing questions that we can't answer, but that's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Before I start uh, bringing what I felt God's laid on my heart, I think it would be really good to, to pray for somebody here. So uh, Graham's not very well. Um, I just saying to Sarah but before the service, really, that this time of the year, for some reason, Graham seems to be ill, and that's whether he's had a really busy summer coming into the autumn, whatever, but he's not well again today. And when Graham isn't well, that, that suffer, the church suffers because of that, because he's not around, he can't motivate things, he can't lead things. So can I just ask you to stand quickly? And, and would someone just go and lay hands on Sarah's please, please as well? That would be great. Because they're a team, Sarah and Graham. I'm sure you recognize that, but actually it's important they're both functioning well in the church. So, Father, we thank you for this dear couple, Lord God, and what they mean to us, Father. Things they've done and the things that are on the heart to do in the future, Lord God, the way that they lead us and care for us, Father. And we say this morning, Lord, would you just bless them, Lord, where they're at. Father, we pray for Graham's health. We pray for his chest, that chest infection he's got, Lord God, that the antibiotics don't appear to be affecting. Father, we say break him, would you, Lord God? Would you clear that up, Lord God? Would you bring strength to his body right now? Father, would you stand him back on his two feet again, Lord God? Father, full of appreciation and love for you again, Lord. Father, just, we just say restore him to full working health. And Father, as Sarah runs the house, Lord God, with lots of little people in it, Lord God, and people growing up and teenagers and all of that, Father, I pray, give her great grace and wisdom, Lord, I pray, that she might get through every day well with you, as it were, Lord God. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for these two. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Please take your seats. So if you're with us, uh, you'll know that we're going through a series on the book of Acts, and today we have arrived at Acts 8, verses 25 to 40. So if you want to look that up in your Bibles or your iPads or your phones, have that ready, that'd be brilliant. And I just want to look at the two main characters. It talks about the Spirit of God and it talks about an angel, but the two main characters in this particular passage are Philip the Evangelist and the Ethiopian eunuch. So let's just look at these two characters and give you a bit of background on them so that we know how to place them when we look through this chapter today. So Philip the Evangelist is first mentioned in Acts 6, verse 5, as one of the seven deacons who were chosen to care for the poor in the church in Jerusalem. 
And that's a wonderful provocation, is it not, that we have a deacon in that church that was just looking after exactly what we've been describing today with this stuff on the stage, just purely looking after the poor. And I just that really stirred me to think, actually, how do we do? How are we doing on that in Jubilee? How are we doing on that in Burton? Have we actually got someone that's having an eye out for the poor in general? Just a provocation to me, that was. I'm not going to go into too much of the detail because David, David Ash spoke on this so very well three weeks ago. And if you want to hear what David said about you know, that whole message of looking after the poor and, and who Philip was, then have a quick listen to the website. Now, this Philip, the evangelist, is not to be confused with one of the apostles, Philip. Although they undoubtedly work together, they are two different people. But when I was looking through this, I found it very interesting that there is no one else in Scripture that's referred to as an evangelist. Not Jesus, not Paul, not Peter. It's just Philip that's referred to as an evangelist. And that says to me that actually there's something, hopefully, in the way Philip role models evangelism that we can learn from today. So that's Philip the evangelist. And then we have the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's described in this chapter as a treasurer of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. So he was a man of some position and authority in the queen's court. And our modern scholars differ on his beliefs and where he was in that belief system, if you like. And some place him in the intermediate position between being a Jew and a Gentile. Others say he's a proselyte, a Gentile converted to Judaism already. But in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, it quite clearly states that anybody that's emasculated or cut may not enter the assembly of God. So it's a very interesting situation regarding the Ethiopian eunuch. Because actually, he appears to be on this journey. But the one thing that we can definitely say at the start of this passage, that he is not a believer in Jesus Christ. So what dates was this set? It's set in around about AD 33 to 34. So four years after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension and remember that wonderful outpouring of the spirit on the day of pentecost so four years after that had happened and the location for this particular passage is on a desert road that runs from jerusalem to gaza so as i read through this the first couple of times just to get my head around it i thought this is a very nice story it's a couple of guys on a desert road one decides to get baptised, the other guy baptises him, they get back out of the water and they both go their different ways. And I thought, well, it's a nice story, but actually I felt a rebuke over this because actually it might be a nice story, but we're dealing with the word of God here and the word of God has the power of changing situations in a twinkling of an eye. And so whilst we might read it as a story, whilst we might see this as a, a children's Bible story in some respects, the power that's contained in just some of the words involved in this passage are mind-blowing and life-changing for us that read them. So it's not just a nice story, it's something more than that. And Paul reminds us in his letter to 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 to 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's so important we remember that. This book or this tablet we have, or this phone that we look up, Bible Gateway on, or whatever, is full of life-changing words and power for situations, even in this room today, that God can change situations if we just take his word at face value. So I started to look at some of the overviews and themes of this passage. What's it got in it? And I was reminded sometimes of 
have you seen these programs on television where someone gets a bottle of wine or a glass of wine and they stick their well-educated nose in it and they start, mm, I'm getting tar, I'm getting roasted acorns, I'm getting whatever. And then I do the same, I'm, I'm just getting grapes here. So, you know, where's that coming from? So it's important to know what the themes of this particular passage are all about. Well, what I get out of it when I stick my nose into the Bible is I get divine appointments, I get faith, I get obedience, and ultimately at the end of this chapter, there's an outpouring of rejoicing and joy. That's what I get out of this passage. And you might get something different out of it, and praise God if you do. So a couple of weeks ago, just to put this back into context, Tim spoke about the stoning of Stephen. And then we saw how in Acts 8 verse 1, a great persecution broke out against the church. And did God allow that to happen? Yeah, I believe he did. He didn't orchestrate it, but he used it that his church might grow. He allowed it to happen so that his people, his church, would be dispersed and that his word might go forth into what would ultimately be all the nations of this earth. And we must never forget that we, God's people, are the carriers of his gospel, of the good news of Christ. There is no one else, and therefore there must always be intent on our parts. And interesting, Paul already read this out when he came to the front stage. He says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands, 2 Timothy 1.6. And it was like embers to fire. It was like remembering your first love when he first said to Jesus Christ, come into my life. I don't know if you remember that moment. I can remember it vividly now and how it was almost like the hairs on the back of my head were standing up, basically. It was just the most wonderful moment. Then Paul goes on to say, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. And a definition of a herald is a person viewed as a sign that something is about to happen. I wonder this morning, are you and I heralds of his wonderful word? Are we waiting for something to happen when we deliver the word of God? And Terry Virgo, who was the man that established New Frontiers International, Coastlands, New Frontiers Now, and which we're part of this church, is part of, 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 a, of a sphere called Christ Central. Terry Virgo once said that if you stay, you go, and if you go, you go. There's a calling and a momentum in that statement for us. So if you stay in Jubilee, you're still on the front foot, you're still going for God, you're still involved in everything. And if you physically go from where you are to another church or another country or whatever it might, you still go, you're going, there's a momentum there. So wherever you stay or you go, you're still moving in the things of God. So at this point in history, this newly established church had not moved outside of Jerusalem. And there is a danger there where we get so inclusive of what we're doing, actually, that a comfort zone develops in the church. So God came and dispersed the people. Otherwise, it might have just dried up. So God allows this persecution and intimidation in order that his church is mobilized. And we see Philip as one of those who moves out of Jerusalem and we find him in Samaria in Acts 8 verse 4. It says, Those who had been scattered preached the word whenever they went. And Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he had said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then the last verse there, 
So there was great joy in that city. What a great way of ending that. All these signs and wonders around, and there was great joy in the city. They saw God moving. It just swilled their hearts. And it should be the same with us when we see God moving in the miraculous. There should be a sense of joy that follows that. Then we see this divine appointment, this interlude in which God, through an angel, directs Philip away from Samaria because he had another master plan for him. So I'll pick up the story from verse 26 of chapter 8. Now, my eyesight is not as good as it used to be, and this stage is very dark, so I'm going to put some glasses on. Okay, so... Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert roads, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked. How can I? How can I, he asked. He said, unless someone explains it to me. So Philip invited, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the eunuch was reading the passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearer is silence. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. And who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So I would find it very difficult to go through the Bible when looking at the examples of evangelism and conclude, well, if you do it this way or if you did it that way or if you say that, then we'll reap a harvest. There are many ways of sharing the gospel message and here we see but just one approach. But this morning I want to draw out three principles which I hope may be helpful in what most of us individually and what most churches corporately find perhaps the most challenging areas of church life. So principle one, preach Jesus in every place. So here we have Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria with thousands coming to Christ and signs and wonders abounding. I suppose in common terminology, he's like some mega church urban pastor. Then God sends an angel and Philip's trajectory is changed forever. Go, says the Spirit. And I thought, would I even be open to hearing that call in my life? And if I was, would I take the appropriate action? And I thought, well, maybe I can be a little arrogant and suppose, well, I think I'm in the centre of God's will, just here, just now. 
and therefore never ask that question. Or if I did, I might be reluctant to act on the answer if it wasn't what I wanted or expected from God. And we know from this story that Philip had preached in Jerusalem and Samaria and his reward was to be sent out into the desert. Not only has he been sent there, but the desert is near Jerusalem, the city that he'd been chased out of under great persecution. So we find him taken to this place of humility, this desert place from a previous position of what we might describe as great status. And I am 100% certain that if that was me, I would ask God, why? I'd be saying things like this. Isn't this just a waste of my talents, Lord? You know I've got a track record in this area and I'm fulfilling the calling that you have placed upon my life. And many people have come to know you, Lord, because of me. And by the way, will there actually be anybody in that desert for me to preach to if I decide to go there? And I got to thinking, why does God sometimes allow the scattering and dispersal of what we might see as a very effective, influential person or an approach to the gospel? Those of you who've been around this church or New Frontiers or Christ Central for any length of time will know about Stonely Bible Weeks. Every year there used to be a massive Bible Week at Stonely Showgrounds. And thousands used to turn up there. And it started in 1991. And in that year, 8,500 people turned up for the first week of Stonely. And it was great. Any Who'd been to Stonely Bible Week, just out of interest? Well, quite a few people here. So you will know. I mean, I used to have such a great time. We used to take the family. It used to be wonderful teaching, wonderful times of worship. So it started in 1991, 8,500 people. In 2001, Terry Virgo and the team that ran it decided it was going to close, shut down. And at that time, it was over two weeks, and it was gathering 28,000 people. So it gone up from 8,500 to 28,000. Why would you close down something that, on the face of it, seemed so effective, carrying the gospel message and building us up in our most holy faith? Why does God allow such things to happen? Well, it could be argued that if that had never closed down, then New Frontiers would never be on a worldwide mission as it is today. It has 1,500 churches around the world and 400 in this country. The dispersal of that 8,500 people leading up to 28,000 people were carriers of the gospel around this country and to the utter ends of this world. So there's a rationale why God sometimes scatters and stops things that we might see as very important. And you might indeed be here this morning wrestling with some of these same thoughts and asking some of these same questions as God continues to loosen your roots so that you can herald the gospel in another setting. But Philip does not let his circumstances cloud his vision or dent his passion and enthusiasm to preach the good news of Christ. He's living out the Great Commission in Jerusalem, in Samaria, and now he intends to do exactly the same in this desert situation. And sometimes, and I'm sure you can associate with this, God places us in a desert situation where it's just that little bit quieter and we can be just waiting because he wants to bring someone or something to us. Ever been in a situation where I don't know why I'm ill, I don't know why I'm in hospital, I don't know why I'm doing this. It actually, God just says, just rest in me because I want to bring someone or something to you that is going to change the direction of your life. So don't 
Don't despise desert situations. They can sometimes be so very helpful when we're just wanting to hear from God. And there's something here about leaving the 99 and going after the one until he finds it in Luke 15.4. Is this not God in his immense compassion for the lost, asking Philip to go just to this one man? And we never know what the outcome of the Ethiopian eunuch was at the end of this story. We don't know if he went on to great things to lead hundreds of people to Christ. We're never told that. But Philip doesn't ask that question. He just goes because he's being obedient to Christ. And God loves the world, but he really loves the individual. And can I ask you this morning, have you experienced that deep, wonderful love of Christ? You know that love. It comes from this relationship with God that will leave your life and my life forever changed this morning. So here we have this divine appointment that God had ordained. And God has sent a Greek-speaking Jew to a Gentile black man from Africa. And it seems to confound all political correctness and cuts across all the rules. But principle one is, go and preach Jesus in every place. Principle two, make sure your gospel presentation is grounded in scripture. Well, that does seem a very obvious statement to make, does it not? But we are in the last days, whatever that might mean to you and I. And there are stark warnings from us, especially from John in his first and second letters. He warns about many antichrists coming, and indeed some have come, and he talks about testing the spirits. And in 2 John 7 and 8, he says this, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Those of you who are in any form of leadership in the church, in business or home, must guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus and must protect the church and your families from error. And we can only do that if we are people grounded in the word of God. In this story, we recognize that Philip is a man of the word, and we see him in obedience to the Holy Spirit's prompting, asking the eunuch what he's reading. And it transpires he's reading these amazing prophecies, these prophetic words from Isaiah 53, that pinpoint almost down to the finite detail Christ's crucifixion and it says he was pierced this is Jesus he was pierced for our transgressions or our sins and he was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was laid on him and by his wounds we are healed and we all like sheep have gone astray and each one of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and he was oppressed and afflicted yet he did not open his mouth he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as the sheep before its shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth and that's the Jesus that we serve today and this chapter goes on to talk about Jesus being cut off from his people, about him being buried, and then living to see his descendants. It's the gospel in one remarkable chapter. 
And it's important to recognise that Philip preaches Jesus from these passages. He preaches the good news that undoubtedly the eunuch is searching for. Remember in verse 27 it says, he had gone to worship in Jerusalem. That's the eunuch. He knew something of God, but he wanted so much more. So we must ensure that our gospel presentation is grounded in scripture. Now here's the third and final principle this morning. Principle three. We should, foc- we should focus our gospel presentation on the person of Jesus. And Philip does exactly that. He preaches about Jesus and him crucified. And it's very similar to Paul's preaching in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2 where Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And what's Paul saying here? The stuff around the periphery, it's important to church life. I'm not decrying that at all. But actually, the main thing is preaching about Jesus and him crucified. The other things can get taken care of in time. But let's keep our eyes on the main thing here. And Paul's saying, I don't need to know what's happening. It's on the periphery. That's distracting. Push on. Both Philip and Paul understood this. They didn't want to drag people down with the unnecessary, just Jesus and him crucified. And it seems so obvious, so basic and so simple. But that's exactly what this God-breathed word is. We need to strip it back to its basics in the first instance. And I was just thinking as I was preparing, there's so much literature around these days that we're so blessed to have. And I thought, for many of us, if you could just be able to explain that to people, the bridge to life, if you can pick up a copy of that, and it's about five or six pages long, if you can explain the gospel to somebody using something like that, that's so simple, straight, so straightforward, yet it's life-changing for somebody. And there's loads of them on the table outside if you want to grab them on the way out. Or the Alpha Course, Why Am I Here? Give that to somebody. They'll be able to explain exactly what that's about. Or... There's another couple, Knowing God, that's out there as well. It's so important. The gospel is very simple, yet it's so effective and powerful. So here's Philip giving the gospel presentation to the eunuch, and he quickly realises that this eunuch has faith and a receptive heart because he says, tell me, in verse 34. So unless you're reading from the King James Version, your Bible translation might not have verse 37 But somewhere in the footnote, it will say something like this as a response to verse 36 when the eunuch says, why shouldn't I be baptised? Verse 36 says, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptised. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Revelation had come from head knowledge to heart movement and there was a celebration in heaven over this person's. So, this is where we start what we refer to in Jubilee sometimes as the fivefold response to the gospel. Believe in the person of Jesus, repent from your sins, be baptized in water, be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and be added to the local church. And I, I realize that baptism in water and Holy Spirit might be the other way around for some people, but essentially, those five facets should always remain in any church. Because baptism was and is an expression of our faith. 
of our commitment to and association with Jesus Christ. Earlier in Acts 2.38, these famous, famous words, after the crowds had come to believe in Jesus, and they asked Peter then, what shall we do? And Peter said, addressing the crowds, repent and be baptised, every one of you. So we would probably have here in Jubilee a baptism service twice, three times a year. And they're one of my favourite services. I love baptism services. I love the whole illustration of coming up out of the water, coming into a new life with God, washing all the way all our sins, all of that. I just love that. And you may not have been baptised this morning. You may be looking in. You might think, I'm not sure what water baptism is. We've got some sheets that we want to go through with you. If you want to be baptised, there's some sheets which I'll leave on the stage. If you just want to know the background to baptism, then I'm going to leave them down there. Now, we're going to be organising a baptism service fairly soon because there are, as we said, there's 15 people looking in for Burton Family Church into what churches all around, and I am guarantee that some of those haven't been baptised. So I can't wait for the next joint baptism service between the two churches. That's going to be a wonderful time. But please, not just, I'm not just speaking to the adults in this room. If you're a youth leader, if you look after Frog Club, if you're involved in that, if you're a parent of children, then please... Don't assume that they don't want to be baptised. Obviously, you're going to go through some questioning with them. But actually, I think my daughter was baptised when she was five years old. And she definitely made a commitment to Christ. So don't write off the children thinking they won't be receptive. It's really important to ask them that question as well. So why is baptism so necessary? Why do we find that in Scripture? Well, it's obedience to Jesus, first of all because Jesus commands it. It's a confession of Jesus. It's our dedication to Jesus. And it's our identification with Jesus. So obedience to Jesus, confession of Jesus, dedication to Jesus, and identification with Jesus. So how does this story end for Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? And what can we conclude from this story? We found that Philip obeyed the call of God and he went out into the desert and God gives him a divine appointment. He witnesses, then God miraculously takes him away to Azotus, which was the next city down the road. And what do we find him doing there? Surprise, surprise, preaching and sharing the gospel, the same as he did in Jerusalem, the same as he did in Samaria, the same as he did in the desert. Now he has a new calling. He then moves to Caesarea, and that's where we find him later in this book of Acts, in Acts 21, verse 8, still living there, still bringing the word of God to people. And the eunuch, well, we don't hear much about him at the end, but we are told that he went on his way rejoicing. As he came up out of the water in verse 39, it just says he went on his way rejoicing. He'd met with a risen God. He had this relationship with Jesus. He'd been baptized, and he was rejoicing What else then might we take from these passages? Three things. We're called to have faith in Jesus Christ in all circumstances. We're to be a people who rejoice over what Christ has done for us. And we're to bear witness to God's love and grace wherever we go. So whether we are in the Jerusalem or Samaria stages of life where things are seemingly settled 
or whether we are currently experiencing the desert stages of life. The Great Commission upon us never wavers, never changes. We are to go and make disciples of all nations and with this wonderful promise ringing in our ears that Jesus said, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Remember that as you go out and as you speak to people about Jesus, that, that promise is eternal. I'm with you. I just find that so comforting when I sometimes step out, speak to people about Jesus, think, oh, I'm going to make a hash of this. No, Jesus is with me. The consequences are down to him. Can I ask you to stand? I just want to wait on the Holy Spirit for a, for a minute or so. Then I'm going to pray over the church. I think we'd all agree that speaking to others about Jesus is sometimes quite tough. But when we do and when we see new life, when we see people bowing the knee and recognising Jesus as their saviour, wow, that's why we rejoice. That's why there's rejoicing in heaven. So I just say, come Spirit of God. Come help us all this morning. Thank you so much for the good news. <laughs> Lord God, we stand here as recipients and trophies of your wonderful grace in our lives this morning. And many of us can testify of, a, of that relationship with you, Lord God, how you bent down and just pulled us up out of that miry clay and set our feet on that foundation, which is you, Lord so grateful for that, Lord God. Where would we be? Do you ever wonder where you might be if you never met Jesus? I don't dwell on it very often because I think I'd be in a really difficult place and a really desperate place. I'm so grateful for what Jesus has done. Whew. And he hasn't given up. He hasn't given up on you or he hasn't given up on me and he hasn't given up loving anybody. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Jesus. He is the Lord. And I wonder if you've come here this morning, maybe you're visiting from another church or maybe you've just turned up today thinking, I'm not sure what this jubilee is all about. I'll stick my head around the door and see what they're all like. And maybe God's speaking to you this morning about new life in him. Maybe that's the first challenge that you've ever had in your life. Maybe you had a Sunday school book or someone read you some stories about Jesus, but you've never ever personalized it. God's calling you and God's calling us to a deeper relationship with him every single day as we step out into new things, as we, as we wait on his Holy Spirit, as we sometimes spend time in those desert situations just waiting for God to send someone to us or something to us. And that revelation comes and you say, oh yeah, that's what I've been waiting for, Lord. Oh God, we love you, Lord. You are amazing. Jesus. And Father, we, we pray for one another now, Lord God. We pray that, Father, would you help us in the days and weeks ahead to have divine appointments, Lord God. Father, I pray that we will dust off those disappointments that we might have had in the past, Lord God, where people have almost walked by on the other side when we've talked about you, Lord God. Father, give us divine appointments where the word of God just breaks in and changes situations, Lord. Father, give us the words to use. Give us the words in season that will break into situations, Lord God. Oh God, 
your heart is that everyone should come to a relationship with you, Father. Help us to play our part, Father. We pray that, Lord God. We ask this morning, give us wisdom, give us great, give grace, Lord God. Give us enabling, Lord, as we step out for you. We ask that in the precious name. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning. God, thank you very much. Rupert, do you want the band back? It'd be nice to celebrate, wouldn't it?